Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Matan. And we are track walking. Tonight, we have Kyle Heyer's favorite meme of the 18-year-old driver, uh, Miata Betrayer, and the only man in the world with two dads. That's not. I have true. more than two. That's two that two two ones that everybody knows. I would say one dad and one daddy. Let's say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say that. I guess <laughs> it's. Uh, we've got my time. Getting weirder as you go along. <laughs> well, it's you know by this point people should know. I feel like uh, Matan Rosenberg. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, uh, pretty good. I'm enjoying the nice break we have between what was the last event. Midwest. It was a couple of weeks ago, Midwest Fest mm-hmm. and Road America. It's pretty nice so far. Yeah, it'd be it'd be nicer for me if I wasn't replacing an engine. Um, there were things, other things I wanted to do, and I uh, I don't get to do. Well, I could do those. I've made the choice not to. So yeah, that that was definitely a bummer to see that. Like right at the beginning of the event, that motor was letting go. Um, and I guess that's just kind of how cars are sometimes. That sucks. It's always a part of it. But, like, on the other hand, like, having a huge break between the two events, like, it, as much as it sucks to miss that big event of the year, I mean, I would rather probably this year be at the Road America, you know, support race. Are you going to that, by the way? Yeah, planning to. Um, so, like, I feel like I'd rather have that big break and look over the whole car and, you know, take your time with the motor swap and do that. Yeah, and that's – that was a lot of my reasoning and not doing it in the paddock is just being able to like buy a bunch of new OEM parts for the engine that's going in and doing it slowly and methodically, which is about how I do anything. Um, kind of go from there. So, and considering yeah. kind of some of the on track things from Midwest fest, like, I didn't it wasn't get, it wasn't the cleanest of GLTC weekends. I didn't get hit, so <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. there was that. So, what, what were your goals for that weekend? Keep it clean. Yeah, it was keep it clean. Come home. Set you you managed that one. Yeah, uh, and I did Take set a personal best as well. So goal achieved. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like with these weekends, it's it's so tough to have a good weekend, and it's also tough after having a decent weekend to walk away content with that because you know after you have like a great weekend you're always trying to do better i mean that's like competition right we're striving for better right. so you come off a weekend that even that is pretty good and it's not exactly like even though we set the goals of most of the time i you know i set the goal i want to get home with the car pretty clean and not have to do much work on it um but you still come back from the weekend and you're like man like one race i could have placed one car better and i would have been a podium spot or, you know, man, I wish I would have checked this before I went and didn't have this, you know, stupid issue in race three or whatever, things like that. Yeah. But you look at the broad picture and it's like, you still did pretty decent that weekend. Yeah. It's the racer's curse. You always have to be unhappy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Luke says, like, every weekend he's like, he says, I quit and then I unquit and I come back. That's pretty much how, like, after, like, like th- eh, probably the week after an event, I'm pretty bummed out. I'm, so far, that's been out. I don't know why it is. It's just, you probably come off the high of the weekend and, and you go back to work and 
and you're just worn out and tired and you wish you did better. And like you, all you can do at that point, you know, the races are over. So you're like, man, I wish I would have done this better. But at that point it's over. Well, speaking of which you had a pretty good weekend at Midwest fest. Um, but you were close enough to doing really well that right. I'm, and that- I'm, I'm, I'm hearing some of this conversation as a result of that. Right. Right. Which like, that was probably my best weekend. Probably. Yeah. It was probably my best weekend, I think. Um, and I just barely got bumped off the podium, which happened to me last year too, at the last event of the year at Heartland. I think like same scenario. I think Eric both times beat me by like one point and took the podium by one point both weekends, which is just like, uh, like, I mean, obviously it's like great company to be right behind. Um, but it definitely stings a little bit, you know, it's one spot, but it's not like that spot's an easy spot to get. No. I mean, all these races are, there's tight and no, you know, not many people make mistakes up there and it's tough to, to come away with a clean weekend. You know, like I said, like this is what I've been saying is you need a really good car, pretty much perfect. Like to win GLTC, you need pretty much a perfect car and a perfect drive, um, for a whole weekend. And it's very tough. Yeah. For sure. And how, all right, let's back up just a little bit because I need to fill in some gaps for all the nonsense I want to ask you. So you now drive a Corvette, but before the Corvette, you drove a Miata. Yeah, which I still have. But before the Miata, you drove a Spec Panther. Yeah, and before that, I drove a Miata. There you go. So, would you drive? Would you drive before? I, th- I think because you're as young as you are, is we just like run out of cars, or can you go farther back than that? Legally, I drove another Miata before that. <laughs> just Miatas all the way down. Yeah. So that was like your first car when you were legally able to drive was a Miata. Oh no! I bought my first car when I was fourteen, which is a Miata. Um, with my brother. Actually, I think I was 13 when I bought the car with my brother and my dad, like, I think my dad bought it and I think I worked, worked it off. And then, um, me and my brother tracked that car for a little bit. And that was like, it was just some guy who tracked it. He lived by mid Ohio and it's like an HPD car, you know, no carpet, just kind of gutted quickly, you know, uh, seats and harnesses and, a roll bar, um, maybe like some, uh, like barely adjustable, like KYB adjustable shocks and lowering springs and exhaust. Nice. And it had like rivals on it and, uh, track that. And I think for like a year or so, uh, actually, no, first I bought that car and was like, Oh yeah, I want to track it. And I kind of heard that like team mods of challenges or things. So I was like, Oh, this won't be a problem to get into an you know, organization and drive. That wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to send multiple emails basically saying that my only experience driving anything was driving bobcats, like skid steers, heavy equipment, dirt bikes, and rental go-karts. And nobody really seemed to like that that much, like to the point of like I was – yeah, I, I was emailing like the director of I think like NASA. I talked to like the director of like SEC Track Night America, um, and they all pretty much were like, yeah, you can't you know, come on track unless you have, you know, on track experience. And I was kind of like, well, how am I supposed to get on track experience if you want me on track? 
Like, I don't really understand this. I even like, like I had done like two dirt bike enduro, like hair scrambles. And I think there were only like three people in my class. So I like cropped it. So it looked like I got podiums in those, you know, I did, I did the whole nine trying to get into these events and nobody would let me, nobody even trusted me that I've been, you know, riding dirt bikes and running skid steers. So I was like, okay. So it took a couple times um, of emails back and forth with a bunch of different people. And I finally got uh, like auto interest as like a local HPD uh, group. And I ran, started to run with them. So yeah, I, this is after I, I'd already gotten the car. Yeah. I, I want you to explain this story because when I heard it from Ed, who was basically who you were emailing with at auto, auto assets, it was one of the most endearing things I've ever heard. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess we'll see how uh, similar me and Ed's story are. I guess it'll be funny. Um, so, yeah, Auto Assets is, is Ed's like dealership company. Works for Auto Interest as the track day group. So I emailed like their general hotline. That was just like I happened to find that HPD sticker, like the Run Group sticker, still on my dad's car because he had been doing HPD for a long time. He's been into cars for a long time. So I was like, I went through NASA, didn't hear anything from, you know, nothing good from them, nothing good from SCCA, uh, looked into like chant, like everything. And I ended up finding them and I was like, okay, I'll send them an email. So I first, I emailed them and I got in touch with like their, um, like customer service, Andrea, who now I'm really good friends with and her husband, Mario comes to a lot of the races with me. Um, got in touch with her, sent her the same, you know. Hey, I've been operating heavy equipment and I do this and you know, I already know your answer, but let me know what I can do. Like, I'll literally just come and meet you guys. Like, let me come to the track and meet you guys at least. So they were like, um, okay. So I think she sent that email to like Ed, who was a chief, who's chief instructor there. And Ed and Rick Hoback are the chief instructors at auto interest. So they like read it and looked at it and they're like, uh, okay. And I guess they had had a couple other kids who, Come, came to the events and kind of went through some of the program and so they were like you can come to mid ohio on this monday and do car control with us and we'll see how you are so i was like okay so we actually got the car we had to put a different seat in it which i don't know if you've ever mounted race seats everybody who's mounted race seats knows that it's literally the worst thing ever terrible it always it's, it always takes like eight times as long as you oh think it yes is. You can you can buy the brackets that supposedly bolt right in and are great and it never works. No. And so we had to do that and I think the clutch when we got it was already worn. So we had to do like a clutch in the car and um a seat. And it probably took me like I don't know, a month of like not solid work. I was, you know, obviously still in school or whatever, but working on the car a lot to do this clutch and seat. And my dad and our mechanic Dale would help um, out when we needed. Like me and my brother, for the most part, did it on jack stands um, and learned how to do it. And man, I still hate doing seats to this day. It's the worst thing I worst thing to do. Um, but we, we like like okay, and I like took this Monday off school, and like my dad, you know, we went down and we towed the car down. Um, and I like remember, I remember like that they run like the tech through one of the garages. Okay. In like the middle high garage is like a little bit of a hill. And like I had driven the car a little bit like around in our parking lot at work and and some other stuff. But like and I've driven dirt bikes with clutches, but not manual cars that much. Manual forklifts. Um and so I was like all, I was real nervous because you know you had to like you had to wait for everybody to go through the tech line, like everybody's inching up, like car pull through the garage. 
So like, I made it through that and I was like, okay, you know, and I, just, I sat through like all their like classrooms for the novices, but I didn't go out on track. I just did the car control and the way they do it. They do like car control for like first timer and the car control for novice. So I just basically stayed in car control all day and, um, they, they do like kind of like a cone course through one of the upper paddock areas at mid Ohio. Mm-hmm. So I did that and I talked to, um, talked to Rick and I talked to Ed in person a little bit and, uh, then I went on, like I went for a ride along with another instructor and, and I think we left, I don't remember if they told us afterwards or like we left and then they, you know, like, we're like, yeah, you're good to go for a, you know, track day or whatever. So then they were like, okay, yeah, you can do a, you know, full, you know, you can sign up as a first timer. Nice. So I was like, okay, I got my way in. Um, and I think I did my first track day at Gingerman in reverse with them, Ooh. um, in my Miata. And then it went downhill from there pretty much. Yeah. I mean, pretty quick too. I, I admire your enthusiasm and energy for ruining your life quicker than most of the rest of us. <laughs> it really takes I think, dedication. I think I, I was super energetic then. I think I've spent all my energy. Like you, you see me walk around the paddock with Luke. I look like I'm older than Luke. I'm so tired. I'm so, I'm so lazy at the track now. It's bad. I got to get back on it. Yeah. You also like, like when you're like, I, I think I've said this before actually in a podcast with Adam or something, but like when you're young, when you're that young, like you're like, I could do this. Like, it's not like anybody's going to tell, like if they tell me no, like I could still probably figure out a way to do this. Right. So like getting into a track organization or like that, like it didn't phase me at all. We're like now if I was like, I want to start this new thing or, you know, um, like lo- looking at your goals now, they seem like it's, I guess I'm way less, aggressive of how i go about them i think when you're you know when you're that age i guess you just go for it right i did and i made it so i guess that worked out yeah i i think i would use the word tenacious i mean for emailing and just like i'll meet you and like it's almost like hounding somebody just for a job interview like not even for a job you're just like give me an interview like get me in the room i'll wear some nice shoes that i borrow I'll look like a grown up, I promise. Yeah. And Ed Ed yeah. did say that you you even mentioned in the email that you sent them that you even mentioned your uh your stellar grades and your uh scholastic accolades as well. Oh yeah, I probably did. I actually yeah, I was actually pretty decent in school. So I, I used that. I was like, look, like I'm I'm responsible, I do all these <laughs> things like clearly I'm emailing you like, and, and the emails were genuinely from me. Like I would write them and then my dad would help me fix them a little bit, but like he'd tell me, it's not like he wrote them for me. Um, like I was the one writing those emails and I mean, it was probably, I, I probably emailed people for, I, I felt like six months. It was probably, it was probably close to, I don't, I don't know, three to six months. Cause I think we got the car. Like, oh, I can't remember. Maybe we got it in the fall or early, early spring, but then we were on track like mid summer or early summer. So, True. um, but yeah, it was, it was a while of emailing like different people trying to figure everything out. Um, but yeah, I, I was pretty persistent about, I knew what I wanted to do. So I, I'm aware of the car control stuff that they do. Did that, like, were you really excited about kind of finally having the opportunity or was this just like the necessary hoop you had to jump through to get to track? 
Oh, like, was I excited about doing car control in general? Um, I don't really, I don't remember myself in the moment, but I would say that I probably enjoyed it. Like I still do. I still like doing it now. Um, but I, I just like to drive things basically and drive them as hard as they can be driven. Well, as hard as I can drive them and like car control is no different. Um, I mean, it's like an autocross. You don't have to work. And like, it's not like you have to work the course and you can pretty much, you can get a bunch of runs on them and they're, they're really short courses, but like, it's still fun. Like you slide the car or, you know, you practice like, um, like threshold braking or, or things like that. I mean like all the car control fundamentals. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me it was fun. You know, you learn about like rotation and all those. Um, I think it actually is a pretty good program that they do. Like I feel like you go to some of the other HPD programs and, Although their programs are good and like all their other drivers have pace, like sometimes you'll see drivers that like they get into a slide or like the smallest little bit of difference than what happened on the last lap and like they're completely lost. And I feel like um, I credit a lot of that to the car control I did, I guess. And probably being so young too, like you pick up a lot when you're young, um, like you learn faster, right? So uh, that probably helped a lot. But I, I, like I said, I've, I've genuinely been driving things for just a really long time. Like, I mean, even if it's a skid steer, but like heavy equipment, you know, that, you know, you kind of learn, you know, you got to be responsible with it. So you get a feel for just everything because you're trying to notice, you know, what's going on with things. You know, I guess on the equipment side of things, it's like tipping points and, um, or like grading ground where on the car you're feeling grip levels or roll. Right. So, but you're always like, since I was little, I was, you know, kind of taught to be like, like to notice the small things when you're operating it. You're not just operating the piece of equipment. You're really understanding what's going on. Sure. I guess. Mm. So, so real quick, you said you and your brother bought the Miata. Yeah. What happened to your brother in all this? Uh, my brother, he still, he has a, he has a Miata right now. Um, he did the spec Panther, which is the crown Vix like time attack with auto interest. It's kind of funny. Um, and then, so he still tracks and he instructs with auto interest. My older sister tracks and instructs with auto interest. My dad, uh, instructs with auto interest. Um, occasionally my little sister has done like a track day or two. Um, my mom has done some track days. Um, there's six kids in my family. Uh, my older sister, oldest sister is 25. Then my brother, I believe is 21. I'm 19 now, even though Kyle is 18. Then my next sister is 16. And then I think 11 or 12 is my younger brother. And then the youngest brother is five. So it's a full house. And we pretty much all, we do do a lot of stuff together. Um, it's like when we'll go to the track, it's a, it's a whole clan of people. We're, where does all this motorsports and power sports and just kind of driving things come from in your family? Uh, definitely my dad, the power, like the motorsports and power sports is my dad. Um, but the doing crazy stuff is both of them. Um, my mom, she's a beast. I mean, she did, I think she did like a five K, like one of those like tough mutters, you know, Mm -hmm. I think with a broken rib, she just, she, she just does whatever. Oh God. Um, she does like a bunch of yoga and a bunch of stuff or like rock climbing. Um, she likes extreme stuff too. Uh, my dad though is definitely 
like his his family i think i'm fourth generation in scrap so in scrap you have a lot of equipment and engines and so my dad's side of the family is just they like equipment and engines and driving things so my dad specifically though likes driving things he um he was autocrossing when he was like i think 16 um so he's been into, into this for a, a while and he kind of got out of it when he like started having all the kids because he couldn't really, you know, do like you can't autocross with your kids. Right. Unless you got carts and everything like that. So he, that's when he got into like, he got a dirt bike, I think. And so we would, he would dirt bike with us a little bit when we were younger. Um, and we still do dirt bike now actually. Um, so yeah, he's, I guess the motorsports side. Yeah. That's, your mom would be interesting to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. She'll, she's like super into food, um, like real food. Um, and yeah, just like extreme sports, but with your body, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. Hike, like hiking, but real hiking and real rock climbing. And, um, I guess I've done a lot, I've done a lot of different hobbies. Like, Dirt bikes, which I still do, cars. I mountain biked for a little while, um, rock climbed for a little while. When I was really little, rode horses for a little bit. Like done a bunch of different little things. Like I uh, RC cars, yeah. But I like to drive or, or ride. I gotta ask what your dirt bike so, is right now. Uh, right now, it is a uh, Husky 450. It's like a street legal no. bike, so I go and terrorize the neighborhood a little bit, and then we go on That's trips, like riding dirt trips. Bike. What's that? It's a proper dirt bike. Yeah, yeah. Those are fun. Yeah, it's it's actually funny. So, like, like I said, like my whole family's like this. So, my little sister just turned sixteen, just got her license, right? But before that, and she's really busy. She does a bunch of different things. But um, before that, she's like, "Well, I, you know, I'm going to all these things. And it's kind of inconvenient to get rides from my mom because my mom's busy still with my little brothers and." The rest of the older siblings, like me, my older brother, my older sister work uh, at the company. So we work full time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my sister's like, I want to go to these places. And in Ohio, you can get your motorcycle temp at 15 and a half by just taking a written test. And you don't need an adult or anybody with you. Like there's a couple of restrictions. Like you can't ride at night or with a passenger or on the freeway. So a 15 and a half year old, you know, my sister, 15 and a half, got her motorcycle temp. And it was riding my 450 around town, which is, I find hilarious because a lot of motorcycle guys like dream of riding a 450, right? Like that's a big bike. And she just rides it around town. She's going to like, like her practice for field hockey with like her backpack on and like people are waving at her at stop signs. I just think that's pretty funny. That's awesome. She rode it around. No, that's fantastic. The only 450 I've owned, I immediately sold. Um, I bought it and got it running again and made it run really well and rode it in the woods once and went, absolutely not. This is, what, this is which way 450 more motorcycle was it? Than I it was a, um, a CRF 450, to 2000, the last year of the carbureted one, so 2008 maybe. Um, an X or a, an R? An R. Oh, okay. So yeah, it, so the race bikes are like, gearing and everything i mean don't get me wrong this 450 is still is pretty quick it's very quick um but like yeah the the race bikes are something else too especially in the woods yeah yeah 
Yeah, but they're they're. I mean, even like even yours is like it's a serious motorcycle. Like you can, they'll bite you if you're not paying attention. Oh yeah, it's it's faster than most cars from zero to eighty if you can keep the front wheel down. Right. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest. Like that sounds exhilarating. I want no part of it. <laughs> I don't know. I love. I, I guess. Well, yeah. Like I've been riding dirt bikes since I was four, so. Like, it's just kind of, it's like riding a bicycle, I guess. Um, so, yeah, to me, it's like second nature. But I will say, like, I mean, I'll probably do some crazy stuff on dirt bikes. But I have never felt comfortable jumping dirt bikes, really. Uh, like, little jumps, but not, like, motocross or anything like that. And I feel like pretty well I know, I try to know my limit. Like, I'll do some stuff, but I really try to ride within my skill i mean i try to do that when i when i drive too and I, there's definitely moments i'm sure where you get a little above that but um i try to keep it tame like that's why i went from dirt bikes to cars because i was like like you wreck on a dirt bike like it's not like oh you got to get a new bike or whatever it's like a major step back like there's some real consequences in a car there you know there is too but you have a better chance of hopefully not getting really messed up um so yeah, no dirt bikes. I definitely am. I try to be careful with them, but they're fun. When you were emailing all those different organizations to try to let them get you or try to have them get you on track, did you like? Did you always want to race, or did you just want to drive on track? Did you like have the goal already? Yeah, no, I, my goal was like, um, I think at the time it was like spec me out. I think my, I think my goal has always been like IMSA, um, and still is, but it's definitely harder to still believe in that goal now. I mean, I still, it's still what I would love to do. Um, but I think my plan was kind of get a Miata, do HPDE, do spec Miata, team Mazda challenge, and try to go that route because they like they have the scholarships and stuff into like global mx5 cup cars and then yeah. you're kind of an imsa and you kind of see where you go from there because mm-hmm. um, mazda's feeder series like they're pretty good um but highly competitive and way more expensive than advertised um yes. and so yeah that was my like so the first car the first miata was like, just an hbd car but the second one i bought was which is the miata i still have now um it was like a hat. It was like a spec Miata that was getting ready to be put together by a shop. And then they sold it to an employee and then the guy never finished the car. And then I bought it from him. And so it was like a box of parts and a roller kind of. Um, and so I put it together as a spec Miata and was still doing like HPD and stuff in it. And then it threw, it was a rebuilt motor too. And it like threw a rod at mid Ohio. And I already, like I had, that year, I think I kind of had gotten into, like I had seen some GLTC races, and I was like, "Well, that looks like super interesting." What what and year was Miata, this? What's that? What year was this? Is that the first year, twenty um, nineteen or twenty twenty? No, I think it was twenty twenty. Okay. I think it was three years ago. Okay. Um, and like the Miata motor prices were crazy. Like to get a normal Miata motor is ridiculous. Yep. So I was looking at like K swapping, and the K swap kits are pretty expensive. And yep. then I, so I was looking at a bunch of different things, and 
like I saw the Ecotec swap and it looked like you could do it cheap and it's cheaper, but it's not cheap. I learned that. Um, and yeah, it seems like, so yeah, anytime somebody has a budget motorsports option, it's maybe 20% cheaper. Maybe, or like the opposite, like spec me out. It gets, well, depend like on the, you know, pointy end, it gets even more expensive because like you need to have perfect equipment every single race. Yep. Um, Gotta buy so yeah, I learned that pretty quickly. Yeah. And you were doing before you were doing, well, when did spec Panther come in? Was that before you joined GLTC? Or is that, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that was, I think like, uh, I don't remember what year. Um, but yeah, it was before GLTC. Um, cause I just, I just found this hilarious. One is you would show up to the grid life events as an instructor driver and sometimes just as an instructor and you would drive this massive taxi cab. Um, yeah, that I might be biased, but I think I had the best, I think I had the best spec Panther. Um, yeah, mine was, uh, we found it on Facebook. So well, ex- like, it's ex- just the explain, concept is like, explain what spec Panther is first. Yeah. So, so it's like the concept is, is you take, either um, Crown Vicks, like retired cop cars, or like Grand Marquis, but really the retired cop cars are better because they have like a better rear end. And I think that was actually pretty much the only only thing because it, it had better gearing, I think, than like the town cars for fuel miles and stuff. Um, and then we'd put, like we got Hawk to make us pads, like put like 60s and 70s. So we'd put like 60s on these cars and we'd put, like trans coolers, so you didn't melt the transes. Although, like pretty much everybody melted their trans, um, and we did. We put like I think you get two seventy five, two hundred treadwear tires. Um, what else? And there were like a couple other things. And like these cars weigh like forty two hundred pounds, and most of us were on stock suspension. A couple of people like cut springs or did kind of like you could do like OEM sway bars, like from like a Mustang or something, as long as it, you know same manufacturer. Mm-hmm. But mine, my car was just like, I put new shocks on it. I put tires on it and pads and a trans cooler that we got out of the scrap. And, um, and yeah, that was my first car that I drove. Like that was my first car I drove on the road was that it was a crown Vic for like a couple of years. I drove that and it was, so the story behind it was we found it on Facebook marketplace. It was an Atlanta checker cab that it was never a checker cab that was really built by the Atlanta FBI for a sting operation. So it had like 70,000 miles on it. Cause it just was a sting car. So it, was, so it had like lights so it and was sirens. A cop car underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it had like lights and sirens, a meter, a working meter and a working taxi light. And I don't know how I didn't get arrested in that car. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that car was pretty fun. I drove it around. I, like I drove it around every day for a couple of years and then I, I drove it on track a bunch, a lot. Um, like so much that like, so the, like for time trial, like if you do like a couple laps, it's okay. But if you like do actual HPD sessions with it, you and you get the rear brakes so hot, you melt the axle seals out of them like every single weekend. Um, so I don't even know how many axle seals I did on that car, which sucks. Cause you got to, you know, take the rear, you know, rear pan off and dump gear oil everywhere. And, pull the axles out and all that. And 
so it was definitely funny to drive and um fun but like the maintenance side of driving a four thousand pound car was terrible you could never get enough camber in them so you just shredded you know shoulders of tires and um but it was hilarious driving around a four thousand pound car on track and like if you were going you could bully people in hpde like in like in a lower group like especially like you know if you're instructing and you're like out in intermediate or something like you could bully some cars and that was funny or like you could like hit them with sirens on the track if they weren't giving a point by or like lights and things like that that was pretty funny so i i did enjoy that car actually and it drifts okay too yeah when it's wet it drifts really well actually really well that part was fun i I guess i probably got car control from that car too yeah i would imagine so i mean things starts to slide and you've got about two business days to actually start doing anything about it and you're probably still fine yeah you're you basically it starts to slide first thing that happens is the four thousand pounds goes from one side of the car to the other and then you slide from one end of your couch to the other end of the couch that you're sitting in (laughs) and then you get about a turn of slop out of your steering wheel and then you're counter steering and then you're doing pretty good oh so after all those things you know kind of handles itself then Man, you should have got yeah. one of those uh, old tractor knobs. Oh, you just, yeah. Like, yeah, I actually did think about it. <laughs> well, that'd be hilarious. That, and, like, and it was just a terrible auto transmission. So, like, the way, like, if you were driving in the drive path, like, you'd basically hit the brakes and then hit the gas right after and then turn in because it took so long for him to, like, downshift and think about going. <laughs> so it was so hard to, like set entry speed or know when to get on throttle like because it was you're just waiting on the transmission for a lot of it so you had to like get on the gas so early did, um did you, but ever, you definitely learned a lot did you ever dink around with left foot braking then um i don't think so i think i would just jam on the brakes full abs and the second i got off the brakes just go full power and then like by the time the transmission would go again, it was, you were basically turned in and you were good and you, it didn't really matter with those cars. Like if you got on power two feet too early and you pushed off the track by two, like by half a car width, I mean, it didn't really matter. Like you had cop car suspension. You could be two off, you know, two wheels off the track. It didn't even matter. I have a picture of me on two wheels in that car at NCM. I was trying so hard, you know, like I think it's deception. Probably. Like I was hitting that curb as hard as I possibly could, but I got it up. I did get it up. Probably, probably barely felt it. I would imagine in that boat. Oh yeah, I thought I just basically went over, a, you know, like a bridge seam on the freeway. That's all it felt like, pretty much. So, what was it? You know, outside of Spec Miata and all that stuff, what was it about Grid Life that was actually, or GLTC specifically, that was interesting to you? Besides the fact that um, Miatas were competitive back then. Uh, the cars, wait, what was the last part of the question? I said, uh, you know, back when Miatas were competitive. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) I don't, the cars looked cool. The stream looked cool. Uh, there were some serious drivers in it, like who had good background. I mean, I don't really, like I've never really watched racing ever. Like I don't, I still don't really watch racing other than our, like occasionally I'll watch our own stuff, but not that much actually. Um, but when I watched that, I actually was interested in it. Like I liked it. It was exciting. Um, 
the stream was cool. It was grassroots racing with a really cool stream. Um, like it was something I could actually go do and seemed like I could do somewhat affordably. I was wrong about that. Um, and I just looked like good racing. I think I watched like a mid Ohio race and like, I think it was like Aaron, uh, Emil and Eric. And like, I watched them racing and it was just like the coolest thing ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I, I like focused everything I had to go do that. And my Miata had like just blown up then. So I was like, well, you know, I guess what else, you know, what else am I going to do? So that's what I did. Nice. It really did seem amazingly approachable those first couple of years. You watched it on the live stream and you're like, yeah. I could go do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. It, it, and it was, it was, a pro- I mean, it still is now not as approachable to, I mean, I guess probably back then it, it probably looked more approachable than it actually was to be a, front back then but now um it probably looks less less approachable than it actually is i would say it still is very approachable to to sign up i mean it's tough getting tickets that part but like if you if you had a goal to do it and you really focused on you know honing you know your awareness and and that was your goal to do it and clean racing and and not in racing where you actually are able to race while being aware it is a hundred percent anybody could do it but you need to be able to have the discipline of understanding if i can only race at this pace while being able to focus on other drivers and that's just what it is and i have like i'm my probably make the mistake i do make the mistake myself sometimes where you're racing so hard and you're like you know that was like i blew my braking zone because i'm just trying to race this guy like i just messed up um and everybody's got to, you know, remind themselves of that. But some people struggle to remind themselves, and that's where the issue comes in. But I still think anybody can do it, If but they really need to, like, take a step back and be ready to have some talks with themselves, like realistic talks with themselves. You know, you can't BS yourself when you're talking about stuff like this. What was your first wheel-to-wheel race then? Um, at Blackhawk, and I think it was that weekend, and I had, like, just swapped my car like just finished it pretty much i had one half weekend on it i think i just gotten my license i towed myself out there all the way to wisconsin i think it was like that's wisconsin i think yeah um practically like nine yeah like nine hours whatever um towed all the way out there and i like like i said the car was barely set up like um, I think it was still on Bill Steens and like still pretty much a spec Miata. Like I threw some wing on, I got, um, and a barely a air dam that I ripped off three times that weekend. And like, I mean, it was, a, I think it was a decent weekend. I think I was doing okay, except I sent it off the track. Like I had never been there before I was instructing and doing comp school and, I just like didn't know the track, didn't know the braking zones. I don't think are there any brake markers at at uh, Blackhawk? I don't think so. There is for turn one. Uh, yeah, and maybe turn was it six right before the access road at right hander. I think there's. Oh there. yeah, yeah. So I think I I think I don't remember. Oh, the one time I went off was like I don't remember the corners because been a while but it was like after the kind of the s's through the trees yep another time was i think i might maybe twice i blew the braking zone before the front straight yep. um 
and I was like fighting the car, like the car was overheating. So I'd be doing good. And then it'd go into limp mode until it would cool back down. And then it would go again and like didn't have any ducting and I had an air dam and, you know, still learning a lot. Um, so I think that was my first weekend. Um, and it was fun, Yeah, but learned were, a lot. Check day picnics a good time. Yeah, it was, it was a fun, it was a cool event. I would go back if it wasn't so far and they still, they didn't do it this year, did they? No, it's kind of becoming every other year thing not really intentionally but um apparently getting a date there is difficult um but yeah i i remember the days when i could reliably beat matan and every weekend became harder until keeping up with matan is like the goal now and it's uh things have changed in just three years (laughs) I think the Corvette helped a lot. It, well, it, yes and no. I I don't know. I, well, I talked to Luke will probably be like, why'd you say that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like the car, I would, I don't know. It's hard to say. I guess I think NA and NB Miatas now in the series, I think it, it would be super difficult to make them legitimately competitive. Um, like a top 10 car. Yeah. I think I could pull my Miata back out. Yeah. Um, especially after I'm spicing it up and probably uh, probably keep it in the top 10, I'd say. But it'd be a fight and you'd be looking over that car every weekend and you like every year you're putting in new clutch, you're putting in new ball joints, you're putting in new tie rod ends, you're doing probably wheel bearings, um, maybe a transmission, um, maybe a diff. Like you're doing major components all the time. And worried about major component components all the time, um, and it probably will never race as good as a Corvette just because of the torque. So, um, I, but I yeah, I don't I, think I. I thought I heard torque didn't matter. Yeah, that's a lie. But my EcoTech does have pretty good torque. So I it, think I can. I think I probably. Uh, like I, I think for the K, compared to the K's, I probably drive out of the corner a little better. Yeah, I think. Um, I think you that. said that. How much torque did your swap make? It was in the one like the same. Yeah, it made the same torque and horsepower. Yeah, and I'm putting like, a cam in it, and I'm not doing a fancy stuff like the K guys are doing. I'm doing an OEM intake cam, or mate, no, an OEM exhaust cam on the intake side. Yeah, or an OEM right. intake cam on the exhaust side. One of the two. Yep. And a sheet metal intake, and maybe a couple other little things, and and just trying to make a little more power. Yeah. Um, so I can maybe detune it some. I don't know if I'll bring the car back out to race or not. I haven't decided yet. Yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll see. So yeah. so you do GLTC for a while in a Miata, and what prompts you to switch to a Corvette? So, well, it's behind besides, me now. I look but, you see it. Oh, I, I noticed the product placement there. Um, you like that? Yeah. <laughs> this is actually just my shop is how it always is. But, um, yeah, so that's my dad's car still is my dad's car <laughs> and he's had it for, um, a long time. I don't know how long, but probably, prob- I would, I think probably close to 15 years. Probably wow. he's had the car. I think, I don't know for sure. Um, so and why do he's let done track you do stuff to it what's that why do you let you do stuff to it so last year 
yeah, last year, like halfway through the season, he, he just had as a track day car, you know, normal track day car that made like 500 wheel with two A Penske's and he would run Hoosiers on it. So basically it started as just like a pretty stock Corvette with a cage. And like every time he'd go out to the track, he'd have like a major failure and he had kids and he's like, I don't like, I want to be able to just go to the track and load my car back up park it and then when i have time to do another track day i load it back up and i do a track day like i don't have these issues Mm -hmm. so he had like he had a shop working on it and do some work on it like over the years and just kind of got more and more and more like like he got like i think he had a red flag on track and like he like it was in front of him so it was like full abs and he like cracked every rotor like just from the stop and he's like okay i probably need a brake kit on the car actually no first the motor blew up so he had he, he made a he got a motor built for more power and then he's like, yeah, I need brakes. And then I don't know when the shocks came along, um, but it was still on leaf springs last year. And, um, but it was at like a stock ECU, um, some interior left still it in it. Um, and he, uh, and the exhaust broke and I actually looked at it before he went out and I was like, I think it's okay. Like, I think it's cracked, but I don't think like, I think you'll be fine to go out in this session. Like, I'll just fix it when we get back. So it broke the rest of the way and then melted the leaf spring oh. and the car like like sat down Wait, and it, it melted uh, a leaf spring. They're uh, fiberglass. I was gonna say Scott's about to learn that he doesn't know about Corvettes. I I so yeah, cool. they have leaf springs that are like transverse. They go from side to side. That I knew. So yeah, so it's like a, and this one is a fiberglass one. Good damn. And. So it melted it, and then the car just sat down, and then the one tire rubbed through the one wheel well, and then it, the exhaust fell down and rubbed through the axle boot, and then there's you know axle grease everywhere. And then I w- he was like, "Well, I want to do coilovers forever." And like when I, again, like it hasn't. It's only been a couple of years since I've actually started working on cars and mm-hmm. becoming um, I, I don't know fluent. So I guess you could say fluent and working on cars, you know, like I'm, I'm, I would say I'm somewhat competent in building stuff at this point. Um, so he's like, well, you know, you could do leaf springs or whatever. And we had talked about also building it for GLTC. Cause like we had saw Jeremy's car and we're like, well, we have a Corvette already. And, um, not that right away it was going to win, but we're like, well, detuning a car, it becomes way more robust. Um, and so I like did leafs or I, I did the coilover conversion and then like I was cleaning stuff up and I was like looking at this wiring and the brake lines on the car. Cause like it had Corvettes have like an ABS problem with like the older ones, like they have ice mode. So he had like a while ago had retrofitted a newer one mm-hmm. um, or had a shop retrofit a newer one. And so like there were like a bunch of unions in the brake lines and like wiring that was half melted on the headers and like the car was like i was like this car needs some attention or it's going to catch on fire and so i was like okay well i'm going to do this work and i don't know exactly why i was like yeah i'm gonna we're gonna do it for gltc i guess but so like i it was like so we have like a right now i'm in the back of our truck warehouse at work we have like a uh main scrapyard and we have a truck warehouse where our trucks park and we work on trucks then in the back of that we have like an office room that we built a ramp out of steel scrap that we could drive cars up so like we have like some of our guys like weekend cars or like jet skis or whatever or like we keep some of our dirt bikes or stuff here or whatever um and so like it was in like our where we keep them and then i like dragged it over 
with like one of our truck transmission jacks over like where I work on the cars. It's like right next to it. We knocked a hole in the cinder block wall so I can have like a uh, room to work on them. Um, and so I like dragged it over and like put it up and I like started pulling it apart and kind of never stopped. Like I just pulled up, like I started taking the shocks apart and then I was like, well, I probably needs pads and, and, and now it needs an axle. And then I was like, well, if I'm doing the BMW ABS, you got to do different axles and hubs anyways. So then I ended up doing that and then pulled the interior out of it and was like, well, and my Miata, I had wired my Miata before too. So I'm like, well, if I'm wiring it, I really want, and I want an aim dash in it. Like I tried doing, I have like some like uh, raspberry Pi dash in my Miata and it doesn't really work. And it's really nice to just have data that works and reliable. Right. So I was like, okay, I'll get an aim PDM. So I got that and just kind of kept going on little things like got a wiring harness for the car. The guy who, um, BMEP solutions, that's who, uh, the ECU I have in my Miata. Cause it's super hard to find like direct inject ECU. I was kind of talking about this project. And I was like, do you think, you know, you can have an ECU that'll run that. So he's like, yeah. So he sent me an ECU for this. So I did to get away from HP tuners, you know, so you can more reliably detune it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Oh, and I think I think Luke probably is the one who peer pressured me into doing it most, probably because it, it, he's he's a terrible friend. He always makes me buy more stuff. Like we, I think we're done, and then he like so last year we did that like joint event at Pitt, like Auto Interest and Grid Life, and yeah. I had my Miata there, and he had his Corvette that he just finished building, pretty much. And we were talking about it more and more, and my dad was talking to Luke about it too, and my dad's like, "Oh, okay, so let's let's go for it." So we kind of went for it. Um, so like I would talk to Luke and we have a Corvette chat and we talk a bunch in there. So our, our cars are similar, but I, none of our Corvettes are really the same. Um, we all have different spring rates. All, a lot of us have different shocks too. Like some of us are on Vikings, some of us are on Penske's different tire sizes. Like we're all running different tire sizes, different weights, different horsepowers. Some of us run different tire brands. Um, I think pretty much all of us have slightly different wings and I mean, it's minor stuff, but like they are different cars, different gearing way different gearing we all have completely different gearing and different motors like some of us rev out longer Mm, um interesting uh so like yeah it's the same chassis or whatever but it's not like it's the same car but we talk we still can talk a lot about setup and we have uh lewis from g-speed in there and he's super helpful like he just pretty much knows everything there is to know about a corvette like you ask him a question he's seen it before for the most part yeah um so like building a car, like to have the support there, like it, I was able to go pretty quick, um, and setting it up. Um, and then like, I thought I was done pretty much by barber, but I'm still not done building it. Cause they keep deciding we need more stuff. Um, like we were like done and then they're like, Oh, actually we're going to all do arrow now. And then yeah, Luke, uh, I was like, okay. Luke just shared his uh, current total that he's spent on the Corvette. It's a lot. I think I might have saw that. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But tell me, um, can you tell me the numbers, Scott, or can we not? Can we not discuss this publicly? Because I'm curious. I don't, I don't know. Because what if Luke's wife hears this? It's great. Um, it's a lot. I'm could so, I. Could I send my kids to college for a year comfortably on it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but you could you could probably send your kids to college to 
a decent college comfortably for a year to build a competitive GLTC Miata or to, to build a mildly competitive GLTC Miata, I think. Yeah, I, I know. That's what, when you said that, like, everybody says that this is affordable and that's a lie. Yeah, Scott and I have discussed that. Would it actually cost to do this um, to be even mildly competitive? And it's, it's impressive. Yep. So, y- yes and no, because, like, once you have your car built, well, that's the thing with Miatas, though. Like, it, the Corvettes, kind of, once you have your car built, if you can have self-control and stop buying shit, um, then it's not insanely expensive to run if I was okay with running tires for four weekends and things like that. And I could probably still be fairly competitive, but when all the Corvettes are hundredths apart, like, it makes a difference if you have new tires or not. Um, but if we, if I was content with, you know, 15, you know, 10th to, I don't know, probably tw- if I was content with like in the 20th area, like you could probably run tires for a while. Same with Miatas, like you probably run Kumos for, I don't know, a third of the season, I feel like, like pretty much until they're corded. Um, right. But like, yeah, to build a car, I mean, it's not, it's not cheap, but I guess nobody ever really, I guess, I don't know. Nobody realistic says racing's cheap. No. Um, what what do you find? Well, what do you like about the Corvette over your Miata? Uh, full power and tractors. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, other like they both drive. They both drive good. I think. I feel like. Um, Which one's Corvette, more fun? more fun i don't know um i think the corvette i think i have a probably better setup because i like talked to luke about setting up a lot and like we've really worked a lot like all the guys and and a lot of the guys already had set up kind of like known um and so like the car will probably do what i want more than my miata did but i don't think i had like i think i had some sway bar issues going on with my miata um mm. But I don't know. They're both fun to drive, but they're different. Um, like, like I said, like the Corvette's fun to drive at full power, like at HPD events, um, and the Corvette's fun not to get drug out of a corner on a start. Um, and it's nice because you don't have to shift. Like at Gingerman, I only have to shift from third to fourth and back down to third on the back straight. That's it. Yeah, that's super. Like the rest of the lap from third. Um, I enjoy not having to do rear hubs all the time. Like those things, I like. I said I, I pretty much like to drive anything, um, but it's like the stuff that's before the weekends and after the weekends. Where especially when I do a lot of weekends, like I do a lot of instructing weekends, and um, it'll tire you and kind of burn you out pretty quickly. Like if you're just constantly unloading and loading the car and having to fix things that are broken, and like that's not that fun. Agree with that. Um. You mentioned that you are in the scrap business and your family's in its fourth generation now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm fourth Dang. generation. That's nuts. Um, so what you, you've posted some videos uh, to kind of show people the, the crazy things that you get to play with, but what's, like, what does that business look like? Um, so the scrap business, there's like so many different things that people, will do in the scrap business. So we do commercial industrial accounts only. 
Um, so, you know, businesses like some scrap yards, you know, you can have people coming in with shopping cans full of, uh, pop cans or whatever scrap, you know, they have around the house or, you know, they bring in a minivan load or whatever. Um, we don't deal with that right now. Uh, um, so we have, uh, what is it? Six trucks, I think. Um, and six trailer roll off trailers. So then we have a bunch of boxes and roll off boxes. So basically you drop off a roll off box at a customer, they'll fill it up and some of it's production. So it's like off a production line. So it's consistent. We're fairly consistent and you get it. And then they, you know, they, they call you when it's ready and you go back and you pick it up and, and then we process it or hang on to it until we have enough of, um, or do whatever is needed basically to make it so you can sell it to a steel mill or a foundry or um, something like that. So mm-hmm. some of it's, or sometimes people bring in scrap, like other companies have their own trucking or own, you know, way to bring in the scrap to you. Um, so and it could be anything from um, like flat sheet metal that comes off a of stamping press. That is like the excess, like the cutouts basically like looks like a, you know, like a cookie sheet kind of right. like if you cut out like on a cookie sheet, right. Um, some of it's the, cookies from the cookie sheet that were bad um some of it is um new production like it's already been a product that is completely finished but it didn't pass quality control for whatever reason or they tested it and they're done with it after testing so they scrap it or they bought too much of it and then they realize they bought too much of it so they just scrap a bunch of brand new stuff or um old equipment a lot of the stuff we do is our specialty one of our specialties is um like old stuff that's like no longer in service you know it's just like old uh stamping presses or like uh hammer bases it's like from large stamping you know factories or Mm -hmm. like large uh cast iron equipment like cnc machines um, and part of the reason that's our specialty is like in our area, we're one of the ones who can pick probably the most, um, like we have one crane that is rigged to pick 200,000 pounds. Um, Jeez. and then we have a forklift that like with and an ideal piece, we picked, I think 75,000 pounds with a forklift. Um, and you said 200,000, right? Yeah. The crane will pick 200,000 pounds by itself. Jesus. Um, and that crane, so I can run that crane, not, not amazing, but I can pick up, like I wouldn't pick up a 200,000 pound piece with it, but I'll pick maybe like a 70,000 pound piece up with it. Um, and the reason is, is so you basically have, so you have, like you have a bunch of joysticks. Does this video get posted on something? No. Like can people see? Oh, okay. So I'm sure people can see my hands, but you basically have, uh, I guess for you guys, you basically have a, uh, like a brake, a hydraulic brake for your swing. So you're like controlling the swing of the machine, the upper compared to the lower. It's like your mm-hmm. actual boom compared to your tracks or whatever. And then you have the actual lever to power your swing. So to do that, you have to unlock your swing and then you now have to be controlling your swing with your other hand. Mm-hmm. And then, and you can't have your swing locked while you're picking a piece because it's a lattice boom. And like if your boom is not straight and you start picking, you can basically banana your boom and it's gone. Um, so you basically have to unlock it and then you go to another lever, which is your actual hoist. Well, first you have to make sure your boom angles, right? Which you either have somebody guide you or you guess, and then you start hoisting and you kind of watch how the piece starts picking. 
but the hoist is a tricky part. So you basically have a clutch pedal with that at the bottom of it is a brake. So you, you tell you let the clutch out. That basically means the spool is now free. Or if you pull the lever, that means you're lifting. So to lift a piece, you're holding two levers, right? And you let go of your clutch brake and you start to lift and you're now holding 70,000 pounds over somebody's flatbed trailer. And now you need to basically go from lifting to locking your clutch back in, but to do it smoothly. So you're not basically having your drum spinning and then you're just slamming your brake, right? So, oh, and you have a foot pedal for your throttle so that the machine actually has enough power. Because if it's, you know, you can run at full throttle all the time, but really like you set it up and then you use your throttle. Like it's a bunch of different levers and things. And I guess that's how a lot of the cranes were, you know, back in the day, like this crane is, I don't know how old that crane is, but probably 50 years old or so. And like, we have a couple cranes like that, that are old, old cranes. And that's the people used to run them. Like that's what my dad grew up running. Like he's been running them since he was like 12. Um, and the pedals to kick the clutches back, like to back to the brake, not easy. Um, so he's good. And I'm like, he can, if we're, if we have a piece that's heavy, he's the one who's going to run the crane. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we have uh capability to pick really heavy pieces up. And then we also have capability to, to cut them. So we have uh, liquid oxygen and propane, and then we have torches that we can cut four foot solid steel with. Um, so we can handle some serious material that way. And then once it gets, you know, down to size, most of our scrap is handled with like our one machine, which is like a, it's a German material handler. Um, and it has a magnet on it. I think it's like a six foot round magnet, um, electromagnet, hydraulic generator on the machine. Um, and the machine will pick like, I think like 30 to 35,000 right up on it. That's just all the hydraulics can do, but the, the magnet will pick more than that on an ideal piece. Um, so that's how we mostly move our scrap is with the magnet, um, our ferrous, like the steel. Um, and we'll, we'll sort like that too. It's like, you'll get a load of like, it could, it, you know, it's stuff that's contaminated and clean steel. Like there, there's all these things, a scrap of sorting the different grades. And we have, uh, guns that shoot like a, a radioactive beam and then it reflects back at the gun and it tells you the exact chemistry of the piece. Um, like the percentage of every element that's in the piece. Okay. Um, so you know what grade metal you have and what's in it. Um, because some things are very particular about that. Um, and then we have, I think the video I posted recently was um, basically a mobile shear. Um, so we have three of those on excavators. And that excavator that was in that video, I was basically cutting another excavator up with it. And the excavator I was in, was a, it weighs 135,000 pounds when I was operating. Um, so it's a big machine. And, and you, s- you say mobile it, shear, and what it looks like are a giant pair of what I would consider like tree branch cutters where you've got like the curved blades on them. And like this thing is cutting through another excavator with. Yeah. It's, it's just using steel to steel. And the way the blades work is like, it's like a, the the blade concept is the same as scissors essentially. Yeah. Like you just have two blades that rub against each other. Right. And so, um, that is, I mean, that machine's super powerful. I mean, you can cut beam and and a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, like that video, I cut pretty much an entire excavator up with it, and that was shortened down, but I cut up the whole excavator in an hour. Um, and you can cut forklifts or, I mean, a car to that would be like 
a piece of tinfoil pretty much. Right. Um, like it's, it's nothing. So like some of the stuff that we get in, like I said, we have to size it down. So like we get large beams off a demolition, uh, job. And so it'll come in, you know, in 50 foot trailers and, you know, you got to cut that beam down to whatever the mill spec is, you know, four foot. Um, so you're just basically cutting all day. So like a, a mobile shear, cause it's on an excavator. So you can basically crawl around and cut versus like a stationary would be something that's kind of fixed that you then feed, which we don't have any of those. Um, and so the mobile shear though is nice because we can do like, we can load that on a trailer and go do a demo. So we do demos ourselves sometimes, which are fun. Um, we like the coolest ones we've done probably is, is a couple of years ago, we cut up two like 120 foot ships. Um, like we pulled them out of the water and then cut them up. It was like a week per ship. Jeez. Um, that was pretty cool. We pulled down concrete plants and buildings and cut those up and, um, that kind of stuff with them. So yeah, we, we got to, we get to see some pretty cool stuff. I mean, you also see like a lot of stuff that, um, I guess I'm looking for the right word of like how wasteful some of large corporations are with like, they're just getting rid of something to get it off their inventory for whatever reason. And, and it's kind of crazy. Um, but that's just how business is. I mean, at least it's not wasteful cause it's going, you know, a lot of scrap, Scrap is real recycling. It's metal going back and getting melted back down and turned into new metal. Um, and all of our stuff is going to like local steel mill that's get rolled back out into fresh steel. Um, but it's crazy how much new stuff that's perfectly fine is scrapped for just the weirdest reasons. You know, it's, it's interesting at the, beginning of the episode you were talking how you uh felt like you were an old man at 19 and that you'd uh kind of like lost your some of that like eagerness that you had but you know then then i hear that you know you've got this corvette that you you know keep working on keep improving but you went back to the miata to build it back up better and stronger. And then you've got this job that sounds like you're doing just fine at, and you've got hobbit. Like, I don't, I don't hear you slowing down any, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I think I'm just going through my midlife crisis. I think that's why I switched yeah? to the Corvette really. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I think I, I, I struggle uh, a lot with um, patience. I'm not patient at all. I try to be on track, but as far as life goes, I'm not patient at all. Um, so if I don't see progress and quickly, I get very frustrated and not, not even frustrated necessarily, but I get like kind of depressed about it too, because it's like, I, and well, and that's the thing that's tough too. It's like, as you get older and as, as my goals get bigger, it takes longer for things. And, and now I'm, especially now I'm at the point where it's like the next stage, in it, like any of my next goals, they're not like they're going to happen overnight. Like, um, getting into GLTC, it wasn't easy, but like looking back on it, it was pretty simple. Like it was kind of a clear, it was a clear thing of, of like, Oh, I have to do this, this or this, where now I'm kind of at the point where, um, like I would say my dream and goal would still be IMSA. Um, 
And that is not necessarily a clear path at all other than buy your way into it. And that, you know, then like, it's, that's not how I want to do it. Um, and then as far as like work, um, like I have aspirations of taking over, taking it over as a family business, you know, with my siblings and possibly cousins. And so, you know, you, you try to think of like, like we're going through a lot of growth right now or growing pains, I guess, right now. So you're trying to figure out, you know, how to grow a business, I guess, basically to make it larger in general to basically support more people and support more business. And, um, it's not anything I know how to do right now. Um, and so it's definitely a way steeper learning curve that is intimidating and, um, and not like not depressing, but definitely sometimes defeating. Um, and I definitely will go through weeks of like, and I think that sometimes what happens is you come off a race weekend with like, Oh, this could be the weekend. And it, it's not like that weekend made or, you know, made or broke anything really. Like it was just another weekend and you met somebody new and that was important really. Um, but it feels like in that moment, you know, it's like, Oh, well that was that weekend. It's gone now. And that was a chance. Like that was, I could have overnight, I could have, gotten a podium and that would have felt like a big, like a big, like a next step in my career. Right. And it's not really, but coming off the weekend, it sure feels like it. And then when, you know, that's what you're feeling like from your racing, from your hobby, then it reflects onto basically everything else in your life. Right. So, I mean, I, it's easy to talk about now, but when you feel like that in the moment, it really sucks. And I'm sure, I'm sure I would think you go through it and probably every racer goes through it. And anybody who's trying to, accomplish something and um you know really push for something i mean it's it's difficult yeah i guess that's probably the best way i can put that yeah it sounds like you're you're basically saying that you know as as you continue to set new goals you know once you achieve something you set a new one and that each of those goals you know the the time needed to reach the next step increases kind of exponentially right the goals aren't getting smaller they're getting bigger and harder to reach yep which i mean it's what keeps you going um and keeps you busy and i do enjoy most of what i do but you get into those like i said you get into those phases or funks or whatever and it's tough um and so like when you go and, and i do like working on my cars and i do like work but when you go weeks of like going from being busy at work um, and then you're going to work on your car and you're kind of just hoping you can figure out what's wrong with your car or get it back together in time. Or now I have to spend more money on overnighting parts or do whatever, because I guess, and sometimes I realize that too. Like, I guess I take the racing very seriously. Like, yeah, it is a hobby, but um, I kind of have it planned out to do a full season. And so like, if I have a broken car, I don't really just, it's not like, ah, whatever, I'll skip this event. And some people do, and that's fine. And, you know, I, I can appreciate that a lot, that it is strictly their hobby and they have separated that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's like, no, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it and I am really trying. So that makes it very hard sometimes. Um, like when you're, you know, you have an issue with your car and now you're at work and all you can think about is your car, but you really need to be present at work, especially when you're operating heavy equipment around other people. And, you know, you have, I have, 
I have responsibilities, you know, that you have other people, sometimes you have other people's lives in your hands as far as operating machinery around other people. Um, and that's no joke. So you need to be present at work, but also be able to, um, focus on what I call a racing career that probably a lot of people call a hobby. Um, and it, it is by definition, probably a hobby, but you know, if you, if you just, if you flip to that, then it's, then I kind of go, what's the point, right? Like you got to still believe in there that you're trying. I mean, and I, I am. Um, so yeah. So, so I can, I can kind of imagine you being at a similar place with, with work in racing where, like, if you want to take over the family business, there might be a benefit to some more formal business training, the same as if you want to advance up the ladder into pro racing, there's advantages to more formal driver team type training. But both of those are like really big leaps from where you are right now. And you almost have to set something aside to do both of them. Right. So yeah, if you, if I probably wanted to expedite the process, um, yeah, you'd probably, well, yes and no, because like, yeah, I could probably go to business school and that would probably, I'm sure I would gain a lot of valuable information from that. Um, but to do that, I would definitely be benching racing for a little bit. And then for the racing side, the next leap in racing, like business school, I could probably do pretty affordably. Um, to get the bulk of information that is important, right? Um, but the racing side, I feel like at, at least it's not like like I feel like I could go race IMSA if I went and handed somebody I don't even know what it is per race anymore. But like if I walked up cash in hand, I could go race IMSA. Like that's kind of how it works, pretty much. Um, and I don't know that any other like at least in my eyes, like, what are you going to like the only in IMSA, you either have somebody paying for your seat or you are actually good enough for a long enough time in a series that gets enough attention and are lucky enough to catch the right person at the right time. Um, like it all needs to work out. I don't feel like, at least in my opinion, I don't feel like with racing, I could like set something aside and go hire like a pro coach and then like, within three years I'd be pro racing. Like I don't feel at least to me, I don't feel like that's how it works in my eyes, but I don't know. I mean, what, I guess what's your thought on that, Scott? I mean, I've talked enough to Tom about the difference in racing is racing series that there's like pro racing is not really pro racing. I think he calls it business racing. Right. Um, and in terms of like getting there, yeah, there's there's the business aspect. You could buy a team. You could be one of the main sponsors of a team. Uh, get in that way. You could bring a which yeah, those, yeah. both of those. I have no interest in doing. I have interest in in basically like if I, if I'm doing it, I want to be there because I drive well enough to be there. Yeah. And I don't think, and again, this is this is me. I don't think that there's any. Sh- that, I guess let me say this: that there is a wide range of people who pay to go pro racing, and there are the 
<laughs> enough of them that do that aren't great drivers. They're decent uh, that do poorly on track that may give some of the really good ones a bad name because there are right. some genuinely good uh, drivers who pay to go racing. Right. I mean, most of them are are pretty good. Are are actually probably pretty good, but yep. they don't like they still they they make mistakes or they let you know their emotion or like you can kind of see some of their driving you can kind of see that in. But yeah, like I would still say like if they're driving those pro cars, I think a lot of them are still probably decent drivers. But yeah, like I I guess for me, I, if I want to be there, I want to be there because I belong there. So like it doesn't feel like like I don't like I don't think going to I I guess I don't even know who you would pay other than a team to become like an IMSA worthy driver, I guess. Like, I guess you could hire a coach, like I could hire a coach for a couple of years and, and you have the chance of, um, of becoming good enough. But then again, like, I, and I don't know the answer to this is GLTC. Does it get enough press to, um, attract attention? I think possibly. Um, but at, the same time, like what class a hundred percent does, I don't necessarily even know other than maybe like some of the Mazda feeders. Right. Like I said, like if you do like, if you win like a, uh, like spec Miata national championship or, um, global MX five cup, but mm-hmm. both of those are extremely expensive, probably more expensive than what I'm doing now. Yeah, so my yes. thought is, um, I guess that actually was my original thought too with GLTC is I was like, I kind of, when I first was interested in GLTC, I actually, I think I was learning more about the realistic side of racing and the cost of it too. And I was like, I think actually this is probably the most cost, uh, uh, the cheapest racing that I feel like would have a chance of getting attention to go into another more professional series. I I think that's my thought. I don't know if I'm right for thinking that or not, but I guess that's what I believed at the time. And I think I still think that, kind of now i mean like i said i don't think we have like roger penske watching us race but i think it definitely does draw some attention i mean we're going to support nascar and i think there's going to be people there who not like they're they're scouters but again you're around more people who are in a higher form of racing yeah no i would agree with that i'm not sure gltc is at that time now um but i you know if the if the trajectory that's been there for the last four years or so continues, I mean, it's could get some serious eyeballs on it, uh, within a few years time. The, the other aspect of pro racing I know is, you know, it is, I, I don't say political, but again, it is a business. And even if you are there on merit, even if you are there, um, because you are a gifted driver bringing along, sponsors having those business relationships that right so you basically come along and a couple teams are possibly looking at several candidates they'll see three candidates two of which are extraordinarily talented drivers uh maybe great social media platforms and limited um limited partnerships that they could bring on board and another driver who's maybe not quite as good, uh, but does bring those partnerships. I I don't think I can put a most or percentage on there, but I've got to think to those teams that the 
slightly less talented driver um, who brings in the partnership money is going to be the a, one going to get a pretty serious look. Right. Which, yeah, I've, I've talked to Luke about this a lot too, which I guess more recently that has also um, kind of less into my desire for it. And, and now it's almost like, well, if I could do, I guess this kind of goes back also. Uh, another reason I did GLTC is because I wanted, like I said, like I could probably do, you know, spec. I could probably do Spec Miata for close to the same price, maybe. Um, but again, this another reason I wanted to do it is because it's what I, I, I felt I was going to enjoy most, and I wanted whatever I was going to do is okay. If this didn't work out, I wanted to be enjoying myself while I was yeah. doing it and actually having fun. So my point, like now, is with with IMSA and stuff, is like I. I almost think like some days I'm like, you know, I might, I would maybe be even content kind of just with this group for, you know, like if I could get enough support, you know, just to run this where it's not costing me, you know, so much out of pocket um, where, you know, it would be something where I could be okay being like, okay, yeah, this is my hobby and I can still afford to live, you know, like right now I'm young, you know, I don't really have any bills. I can, I can spend all my money on racing. Um, but and I still time. look at, you know, a couple of years into the future. Yeah. So, and, and um, time. Yeah. A little bit. Um, so I guess, yeah. I, I, so yeah, I don't know. I guess back to what Seth was saying, like I, for the business side of yeah, I definitely could see, I could probably go to school, although I hate school. So that's the reason I don't go to school for business. Um, I do well in it, but I hate it. And, Good. um, the racing side, I just don't know a way that I could really focus on it other than, I mean, nowadays it's like really building your social media and stuff like that, which I've never somebody, I never somebody who really was big on social media, but I like, believe it or not, you wouldn't tell from my Instagram, but I really push myself to like post and try to do some stuff. Um, but I, I'm trying that more and more now and it's, tough because I want to be real on social media. I want that to be actually who I am. Um, but you also have to make it so that other people want to, you know, are interested in it because that's the reality of a lot of racing these days. Like you can be grassroots or you don't even have to compete. You just need to be good on social media and that can be, you know, that can fund your car projects or whatever. So we've, we've seen that from several sources around us. Right. Right. Which good for them. I mean, they found something yeah. they're good at, and I can respect that. Um, so, and it's not something I'm currently good at. It's something I'm working on. And I, I like, I guess I'm young, so I, I go, I use like TikTok, like I'll do make videos on there. I, I for some reason, I like making those more. Um, but I'll, you know, I, I, I do try to post more on Instagram, and and I'm, I'm definitely conscious of, of those kind of things, um, and building that side too. Because, like I said, like. I think I would be content racing in GLTC. I mean, the racing is, is great and arguably probably better than some of the pro series. Um, but yeah, it's the only part that sucks is just the cost, but that's racing in general. And then I remember like, well, if I wasn't racing, I guess what would I be spending my money on? So whatever. Drugs and yeah. dirt bikes. Dirt bike. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. What's uh yep. what's the rest of your season look like? I know you said you're going to Road America. Um as of right now I have the rest of the GLTC season planned out. Um 
Laguna's on there. I haven't put much thought into it because I said it's in a couple months, but it's getting closer and closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, not really looking forward to however I have to transport the car because either way it's going to be expensive. Yep. Um, and then I have next weekend I'll be at Pit Race with Auto Interest. Um, I think I have maybe a Mid-Ohio on Monday I might do with Auto Interest. Uh, I think another Pit Race with Auto Interest. And... Oh, maybe I'll try. I think I'm going to try to do, depending on what the weekend is, the winning formula chili cook-off. I wanted to go to that last year, but it uh, was the same weekend as the pit event. Oh, um, so, I don't know. Yeah, it was, I think, yeah, I was, I think pl- that's the main thing. I was planning on going to that last year, and I got uh, got tagged in the race four at Heartland. So, I uh, oh, yeah. last, last race of the season, I'm like, I don't want to fix anything. <laughs> so Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'd that's that's another event i would like to get to this year we'll see with laguna being not terribly distant from that one so we'll see yeah i mean i I, yeah my i guess that's what is planned but with the level of racing we're doing and with you know with how we drive these cars like you just don't know as far as parts failures or or you know accidents are always possible it's just kind of what we sign up for when we race and um try our best to avoid um but yeah i guess that's plan is finish out with the corvette i'm currently working on the miata trying to put it back together um i don't know if i'll have it back together for like an hpd or not this year um but yeah now i'm considering what i should do with the car i want to keep it though good you better um, can't, if you're going to go over to a different chassis, you at least have to give some love to the old one. Yeah. That's coming from a Miata guy. So, well, what are your, uh, social media links for the people? Um, my Instagram, I think, um, Tan, M-A-T-A-N underscore Rosenberg, uh, 484, uh, Facebook, just Matan Rosenberg. Uh, TikTok, Matan Rosenberg, and I do have a website, although I need to update it. It's rosenbergracing.com, and I think that's pretty much everything. Yeah, well, very good. Uh, we are at Track Walking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Track Walking, uh, boy, I just blanked for a second. There we go. Track Walking Chats is on Facebook. It's the uh, the group. Where we chit chat and things, you know, we talk. But thanks for uh, thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit, Montan. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, it's a good time. And, uh, I'll uh, hopefully be chasing you here in a, a few short weeks. I'm bringing the Miata back out to terrorize you. I please, <laughs> please. Scott needs that. Sp- on a it's spiritual fun. level, I do. Miata Bros. Yep. All right, man. Well, for the three of us here, I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And I'm Matan. Well, we're track walking, and we'll talk to you next week.